we are tackling the fifth and final purpose um, in this series that we've been busy with. And before I do a very, very quick recap, I want to read a quote to you that I came across uh, very recently. In fact, a couple of us were talking about this book written by Eugene Peterson called Running With Horses or Run With The Horses. Um, great book on the, uh, based on the book of Jeremiah. And in this book, Eugene Peterson quotes a gentleman by the name of, I want to get this right, Vitislav Gordovsky, a Czech philosopher and martyr. He was martyred in 1978. He said the following, the terrible threat against life is not death, nor pain, nor any variation of the disasters that we so obsessively try to protect ourselves against. The terrible threat, bear in mind this is someone that was eventually martyred, the terrible threat is that we might die earlier than we really do die. A death after which we go on living for many years. And that's, that's just a simply put way of saying that so many of us have stopped living, so many people have stopped living, but they're still breathing, still going to work, still getting around, still doing stuff, still going through the motions. And I'm here to remind you as we wrap up this series that there really, really, really is a life that God actually wants us to live. Do we ever manage to get it perfectly right according to God's perfect plan? I don't think so at least not in my life, because I'm not perfect. I make mistakes, I, I get things wrong. But, but I love how, just like with Google Maps, that wonderful lady with the Australian voice, in my case, tends to redirect me and bring me back on course. I think God is far more gracious and far more patient and far more sovereign than Google Maps. And he truly, and I mean this sincerely, I'm, you might, it might sound like I'm being facetious, I'm being dead serious. No matter how many detours you've taken, no matter, no matter how far off the original course you've gone, if you're still alive and you're, and you're hungry to, to, to get onto God's plan, God is only too willing to redirect us onto the path that He's trying to lead us on. So we've looked at four purposes and today we're gonna look at the fifth. The first was, was so I'm gonna use my, my language, my summary, which is worship, but, but, but really what we spoke about is how we uh, part of our purpose is to love God back. I wanna emphasize the word back because really we don't ever get to love God first. And, and our worship will only be to the extent that we have allowed God to love us. It's only to the extent that we see Him that we wanna worship Him. It's only to the extent that we will slow down enough to look at God, looking at us with love, that we will actually be motivated to love him back. That's what worship is. Worship is our response to God. It's our only reasonable response to God. He, he takes pleasure in us. He loves us. He wants us. He created us. If you're still breathing, He still wants your life. And He loves you dearly. Our only appropriate response is to love Him back, to worship Him, to give Him the glory that He deserves. And a huge part of that is living a life that is surrendered to Him, where we are faithful, obedient, and do the best we can. Another very churchy word is discipleship. We called it the fact that, we, that part of our purpose in life is to actually become like Jesus. We're all becoming like somebody. We're all being formed or deformed. But God's purpose is for us to become like Jesus. That's what discipleship is, is simply becoming more and more like Jesus. Where we allow God's heart for us to melt our hearts, to mold us, and to lead us into people of freedom, people of peace, people of joy, people of meaning and kindness and generosity. That's what discipleship is. Tammy spoke to us about fellowship or the fact that we, part of our purpose is actually to belong to the family of God. 
And it's amazing to me how no matter how much other stuff we're getting right, sometimes if there's just one of these five that we're missing, you can love God, you can spend eternity with Him, but you're not gonna get to experience the fullness or, or closer to the fullness of God's plan and purpose for our lives. And, and a big part of that, and, and probably the part that we feel the most challenged about as a church, and the, probably the part that we wanna put the most effort into trying to work on what we can strategically to facilitate this is to help people actually grow in relationship. We were never made to do life alone. We were never made to, to walk this journey with God alone there is there is stuff that God is saying the only way you want me to do, you want me to do that for you but the only way that I've planned to do that for you is through my people and yes it's messy yes it can be disappointing yes it can hurt and you can hurt others and I can hurt others and we can all be messy but you can either have a clean but empty life or a messy and full life we're made for one another last week Sue, Sue spoke to us about service how we are made ministry, how we are, how we meant to live bivocational lives. If you're a Christian, you don't have one vocation. You have at least two. So you might be a teacher, but you're a teacher and you're a servant of God we are. If you're a lawyer, if you're a business person, if you are a salesperson, if you're cleaning, whatever it is, you, that's not the only thing that, that we are giving our lives to. It's to serve people, bless people, love on people. And you'll hear us say this over and over again. I think that where we are meant to make the most difference is where we are the most. So yes, it does include serving as a team and as a church in our community and, and on Sundays and every other day that we do stuff. But, but if, you, if you only get to be a part of that for two hours a week, but you're spending 40, 50, 60 hours with other people, doesn't it make sense that God wants us to serve and bless and make a difference where we are most of the time? Okay, so... I wanna talk about the fifth purpose today, which is mission. Another churchy word for that is evangelism. The best way that I can describe that is simply to live a life where we are committed to investing and inviting. And I wanna tell you why you should lean in to this final message. I think <clears throat> when people are willing to lay their lives down for something, now, granted, there are people from different faiths and different belief systems that are willing to lay their, lay their lives down, but, but often, if not always, for some other exterior motive. So, so maybe if you're a, an extremist, terrorist, you know, it's, well, I'm gonna get to spend time in paradise with a lot of lovely ladies, maybe. There's still some cheese at the end of, uh, hear, hear what I'm saying. But when people are willing to lay their lives down for God, and it's not because they're trying to earn anything, it's not because that's gonna pave a way to eternal life, but when it's out of a place of I'm already loved, I'm already accepted. There's nothing I can do to earn or, 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 or generate God's you know, love for me. I'm at peace, but, but, but I am so convinced that he is who he says he is and that the good news really is the good news that I'm willing to, to pay whatever price. When people are willing to lay their lives down, I think it's worth paying attention. And when it's not out of some weird need, I'm, when, it's, when it's out of a healthy place. Do you know that in 2021, it is still a year in 2021, according to Open Doors, which is, which is the most uh, thorough investigative type of organization that, that looks into Christian persecution around the world, more people are still being persecuted in modern history than at any other time before. According, according to their investigations and, and statistics, and it's probably worse than this because obviously it's very hard to get stats out of most of the countries where, where this is taking place, today 13 people will die 
because they're committed to Jesus. There are 50 to 70,000 people, it's estimated, in, in, in prison camps in North Korea simply because they're Christians. 5,000 people at the moment, roughly, are dying every year because of their faith. Now, that's not to bring you down. I'm trying to say that when people are facing persecution and they're trying to give perspective from God, I'm willing to pay attention. And that's exactly what's happening in the passage that we're gonna read today, which is recorded from Peter. Peter was, as you know, one of Jesus, many of you would know, one of Jesus' disciples. A little bit of a crazy guy. Did some crazy things, which gives a lot of us hope that God could still redeem him and be patient with him. But he went on to go all in for God. And the epistles that Peter wrote, so 1 Peter and 2 Peter, were written towards the end of his life and it's being written to people that are being persecuted for their faith. Not like, uh, I don't like you because you're a Christian. You must be prejudiced. You must be anti A, B, and C, and whatever else you want to fill in. No, no. I mean, yes, that could be a form of persecution. I'm talking about like where, where you are burnt alive. I'm talking about where you are, where your family's tortured. Where I'm saying like serious intimidation. It's in this context that Peter says in 1 Peter 3, verse 13. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? He's not guaranteeing that people won't want to harm you if you do good. So just don't, don't read into that. But he's, but he's kind of trying to make a point. But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Hey, I know people want to kill you. Don't worry. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Which, by the way, might sound really trite for us, living in the circumstances that we're living in. But, but, but when you're facing persecution, that's quite a serious statement. It's like, like, what's the worst that can happen? They can take your life. Like, is that the worst that they can do? This is the part that I want us to pay attention to. Instead, verse 15, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life, and if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Think about that for a moment. If someone asks you to explain the hope that you have in Jesus, would you be able to explain that? I, I realized quite a few years ago that, that part of the challenge for many of us in a Western context is that it's hard for us to sometimes clarify what our hope is in Jesus because our hope is so often the same as people that are not in a relationship with God. Our hope is in medical aid, pension, the bank, the inflation rate. And, and that's, that's, that's not a diss, that's just to say, we need to evaluate every now and then whether or not our hope is any different to people that don't have a relationship with God. And if we do have a relationship, do we, do we give any thought to how we would try and answer this question about the hope that we have? But then, very important, verse 16, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. I'm sure you've all seen people on street corners or on TV or on you know, internet memes that are not doing it in a gentle and respectful way. Some people where you're like, please don't tell them you're a Christian. Tell them some, anything else. Tell them that you escaped from a place last night. Don't tell them that you're a Christian. Because, because there is a way to do this that can actually bring credit and there's a way to do it that can be really discrediting. And that can be so disrespectful. In my life, I've never seen more disturbing vitriol online between Christians than I have over the last couple of years. Like, it's weird to me. Like, weird. I'm like, how are you a Christian? But you speak with so much hatred and bitterness about loving somebody. I'm like, are you listening to yourself? Hello? 
It's, it's weird. Anyway, pet peeve. Okay. Do this in a gentle and respectful way. I need to be gentle and respectful. I'll talk about people that are, don't respect very much. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, and they, uh, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Basically, he's saying, guys, like, like don't be distracted by whether or not you're getting the results that you'd like from the people. Just, just keep loving God, loving people, doing good, being able to give an answer for the hope that you have. And, and I think Peter would say, don't take responsibility for the results. You're not the prosecutor, you're just the witness. You don't have to convince anyone. You don't have to convert anyone. You just have to share your story. You just, you just have to be willing to invest. And if the opportunity appears, invite. Why? Why invest and invite? Like, I, please, I want us to think about this for a moment because it's so, especially, my biggest burden and concern with the message like this is that for some of us who've been around church for so long that we've heard all this so many times, it's like, yeah, 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 we agree. Not gonna do anything with it, but we agree. Nothing's gonna change, but thanks, Jason. Don't run late. And so, so I, want, I want us to think about why. Why invest and invite? Why would, why would hundreds of, th- I mean, I'm guessing millions of people have literally laid their lives down. We, we are sitting here today. You are watching online today because people have literally been willing to lay their lives down. Why? Why is it worth investing and inviting well very simply number one god loves people god loves people the entire bible is the story of god reaching out to people god loves people and again unfortunately because of the way that some people that claim to be christians represent god the average person that they're trying to reach would think god hates people no 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 he loves People, 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think because again, bear in mind, if you're being persecuted, you're like, Jesus, come, come. Like just let the end, I don't know about you. Hey, I'd be like, God, get me out of here. Like, like just come, I've had enough. You're not suicidal, you're just happy for the end to come and for the next phase to begin. And so people might have felt like God was being slow. He says, no, 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 no. He is patient for your sake. Listen to this passage. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. That word repent isn't an ugly, angry, repent, with a Southern American accent. No, 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 it's, it's, it's a life-giving word saying like, like turn from what's taking away your life and turn to. So it literally means to do a 180 degree turn. Turn to life. Turn away from that which is taking away from your life. That's why. Jesus hasn't come back yet. Just so you know, quite literally, that's why. Because he doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. So why invest and invite? Because God really loves people. Why invest and invite? Because we really love people. Right? Of course, the question is, do we? And that's a question that I think we should honestly ask ourselves from time to time and honestly reflect on from time to time. Do I actually love people? Because I'm telling you, if we love people, people that, you, that don't like you, that don't love you, that maybe you don't even like, if we really love people, I'm telling you, it does change the way we live our lives. It does change our value system, our order of priorities. It really does. It'll change our lives. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but when, pe- but, but when you have someone or people who love you and because they love you, they love those closest to you that you care about, 
you, I have so deeply appreciated people loving people I love. Like, like and, and, and because of relationship. We, we have someone over the last while that has, that has just been so kind, that has invested so much into someone that Sue and I love dearly. I will forever be grateful to this person. Here's, here's my point. God values us valuing the things that he values. If you love God, I promise you, you will grow in loving people. If you're not growing in loving people, you are not growing in your love for God. I can't water that down. If I'm not growing in love for people, my love for people is a direct reflection of my current relationship with God. And third, because it really is flipping good news. Like it really is. Now, now you might have grown up in the type of home where it felt like really bad news. If you grew up in a very moral home, which I mean, it's, 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 it's great on one level, but on the other level, you felt like everything to do with Christianity was about what you can't do. Like if it tastes nice, it must be from the devil. <laughs> if it's exciting or fun, uh, you know, it's probably evil. And so, and so, and so again, if we're, if we're being honest with ourselves, for some of us, it's like, why would I, like, how do I, how do I market this? Because this just doesn't feel like good news. I get that. But I wanna encourage you to think a little bit deeper. And, and I think so much of it comes down to our actual understanding of the gospel where it's not just a get out of jail free ticket. It's, no, no, there is, it's not just about eternal life, it's also about this life. It is not just about what we're being saved from, it's what we're saved to. The gospel, the message of Jesus is actually about genuinely experiencing freedom from not just the issues, but the issues beneath the issues. It is experiencing a supernatural peace that passes understanding, not just, not just with what I can see, but, but the concern behind or be, beneath the concern that I have. It is to find identity and security in an anchor that doesn't change. It is to find a purpose and a meaning that goes way beyond our comfort and convenience or our safety and our security. The good news really is good news. So how do we invest? I wanna give you a couple of examples and, I, and just to manage expectations, I'm not, I'm not hoping that you remember all of these. I'm wanting you to catch the heart behind these examples. These are just a couple of examples, okay? If you're not, if you're not take, take the notes, but, but don't panic. Just, I, I, I want you to kind of hear the heart, the examples behind how we can invest because I do think that we have to have credibility. I think the messenger matters. I don't, think, I don't think that we live in a day and age where it's just about the message. I think the messenger really does matter. So number one is character. No one can be perfect, but our character matters. Let's, let's, let's not excuse or undervalue how important it is for us to have character at work, at school, at home, with the people that we, that we deal with, where we are honest, where, where when we make mistakes, we own it humbly. We don't make excuses. We, we just own it. Character really matters. Fruit of the Spirit really matters. Matthew 5 is, records Jesus talking about how we are, are to be salt and light in the world. Let your good deeds shine out for others to see so that they will glorify your Father in heaven. I think that, I think that character is how we earn trust and respect. It's how we earn trust and respect. We, had, we, we did some training, our national team, with, I don't know, about 100. 
20 pastors a couple of weeks ago, and one of the sessions, um, Byron Chicken, our national leader, Pastor Byron, did a great session on, he, he called it leadership etiquette, but actually we, we've since adjusted it. And one of the biggest things that stood out, I think, to many of us was he was saying, like, so many of you want to be great, but can we just be decent first? You may want to be great, but, but can you just be decent? So we've literally got like a little hashtag JBD, just be decent thing going on. Bec- no, no, bec- because I, I remember one of our staff members years ago asking us when we, when, when we were at a minister's meeting, we had a visiting speaker speaking, and he was just rude. And, and this person came to us and asked, and, and she was being completely sincere. She asked, because of some other stuff that she's seen of leaders, she's like, she wasn't being facetious. She was being deadly sincere. Do you have, she asked, do you, Jason, do you have to be a jerk to be a strong leader? She's talking about Christian leaders, pastors. And I'm like, no, that should not be okay. What, what, what is the point of building, building a big church, depending on how you define that, but you're not even decent? Like, sure, anyway, so, so, so what's the point of you bringing great value at work? or being the most likable person at school, but you're not decent. Guys, can we just be decent? Can we just be decent? And when we're not decent, can we own it and apologize for it? You wanna, you wanna invest before you invite? Let's build character. Number two is acts of kindness. Hopefully this is self-explanatory, but there is very little that's gonna build a bridge for people. Then just simple acts of kindness. Doesn't have to be big, doesn't have to be massive, just where you're helpful or where you're generous where you offer to do something for someone, where you offer to help someone, or, or I mean, I don't know what it's like in most corporate cultures, but, but, but where you actually encourage and affirm people when they do something right without panicking and fearing that that's gonna make you look bad because you're highlighting something that they did well, and you're not insecure because you actually trust God. We even think in the church context that it's an act of kindness. Don't assume that because someone's in the building that they're good or that they have a relation with God or that they settled or that they planted. Right now, sitting around you right now, there are several people that would not be planted, people that would not be sure. And it doesn't matter how much they might enjoy the church service, getting connected is what's gonna make the difference and what'll help people get planted. And so, and so it might be an act of kindness could simply be noticing somebody or noticing a couple. Don't think that just because two people are together that they're planted, no, they're married, like they're still not planted. Like it could be as simple as inviting someone to just join you at a table for 10 minutes after the service for a free cup of coffee that Tyrone's helping sponsor. <laughs> so my question here is for you just to think, is there one thing that you can do this week for one person that is just a small act of kindness? Let's invest and invite. Number three is to listen. Man, I'm telling you, forget church, Christianity, anything. I'm just telling you from a sociological, psychological point of view, the biggest problem in the world right now, in my opinion, is an inability to just actually listen to one another. Not listening to respond, just listening to actually understand, to actually hear where the person's coming from, to actually be curious, to want to understand, or to provide a safe place for someone to ask questions and to have uncomfortable conversations with you that you don't have easy answers for, but it's okay, you don't have to have the answers, can you just listen? Surely to listen is to love. And to love is to listen. You might have heard this comment from John Maxwell before where we need to seek to connect, not correct. 
it's not actually your place to correct most people. If you're a leader in a church or you're a parent, sure, there's, 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 there's certain appropriate responsibilities towards certain people that have submitted themselves, like your family, or, but, but for the most part, it's not actually your, your or my responsibility to try and convince or correct someone. Let there be dignity in spite of disagreement. Let's disagree without drawing blood. I thought, I had this thought as I was pre preparing this message, sincerely, I thought, do I actually care about their soul if I don't care about their story? Do I care about their soul if I don't care about their story? Do you care about that person's soul? If in all honesty, you really don't care about their story. Because if that's the case, I think that's just another notch on the belt. That's just another number. And, and here's the reality. No person, at least to my knowledge, and, and hopefully, hopefully this hasn't happened and hopefully this isn't true of you, but no person, when they were born, was just given a number. Somewhere pretty early on, they're given a name. Every name ultimately represents a story. Every story matters to God. Romans 12, 9 says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. And I love how Dallas Willow says, to be able to love others well, you have to learn to listen and pay attention. Listening is one of the highest spiritual acts of love. The first act of love is attention. How many of us would think of that as a spiritual practice, as a spiritual discipline, to, to just listen? Number four, pray. Talk to God about man before talking to man about God. You are not, you're not the guru, I'm not the guru. You can't change someone's life, I can't change someone's life. We are a vessel in the hands of God. Only God can ultimately do a work, a deep work, a life-changing, a life-transforming, a freeing, liberating, inviting work. Please don't ever try and make a difference in someone's life without genuinely, consciously, consistently praying. But also to pray for eyes to see. God, please help me to see people through your eyes. Give me your heart for the people. And I'm very aware that you might strongly dislike the people that you're gonna see at work tomorrow or that you're gonna see at school tomorrow. I know you're not gonna use the word hate because you're a Christian and you wanna you know, look good, but, but I mean, if you're honest with yourself, you probably say, oh, that's good. Don't deny it, accept it, or rather own it and ask God to change it. Remember, our emotions should be stepping stones, not stumbling blocks. So when I feel like I'm really angry and I hate this, I'm not allowed to say that, hey. Are we actually like tricking God? Oh, of course I, course I don't hate him, God. I love him. Just, just being a little bit expressive. No, no, how about just owning, okay, God, I, I think I might actually hate this person. I don't like it. I don't think that's okay. So can you change my heart? Can you... Help me to see this person through your eyes. And, and just pray a blessing. Just pray the best prayer. Listen, probably the, the single greatest thing that will make, make a difference in our heart towards a person is to actually start praying God's blessing on that person. You'll be amazed. It's hard to hate someone and pray God's sincere blessing on them at the same time. Like it, I mean, it's just hard. You have to be very disciplined to, to really hate the person, you know. But also when I talk about prayer, I cannot emphasize strongly enough how much our lives need to be changed by a relationship with God. We cannot share what we do not possess. We, we, will, we will reproduce who we are, not what we say. And so, and so if my relationship with God is not healthy and growing and, and real, it's gonna be very hard to, 
to actually overflow as I try and invest in it. Number five is to serve. Join a team. Help make Sundays warm and welcoming. There's so many, there's so many ways for us to serve in the church context. Now, now I'm speaking particularly in the church context. We spoke last week, and, and we, we can keep unpacking ways that you can do this throughout your week and where you are the most. But, but guys, make no mistake. We, it does take teams. It takes people to, to help try and provide an environment that you can actually invite someone to. So let's serve. That's part of how we can invest and invite. I remember years ago, Sue and I, uh, we, we had to go to family court quite a few times, not because we had marital issues, but because we fostered our, our, our youngest and oldest daughters. And so there were times we had to go to the magistrate and family court. And I remember the, the waiting area, the lounge, like the family lounge, just being a terrible experience. Now for us, it was okay because it wasn't this terribly traumatic. I mean, some of it was, but most of it wasn't like this. We weren't coming in there already semi-traumatized. But I'm thinking, what about kids that are being dragged in with their parents that are in a custody battle? Um, where the divorce is ugly and messy. And I just thought, what a terrible environment for someone to have to come into and experience. And, and, and it makes me think of church. Not that it's a terrible environment. It makes me think of people are coming into church with some level of need, sometimes, sometimes genuine trauma. It's scary. If you're coming in for the first time, for most people, that's gonna be pretty intimidating. Let's do everything that we can to create a warm and welcoming environment. That's how we can serve. My encouragement to you, if you've been a Christian for a long time, if you've been in this church for a long time, please don't just come to church for you. Please don't just come to church for you. I mean, I don't know how you do it, frankly. I'd be bored to tears by now. Like, I mean, they, they just, I mean there's only so many different ways that we can say the same thing. Like, like it's time to get off of the rafters, into the game, where, as John Maxwell says, many of us don't need more food, we need more exercise. So I'm just saying, if that's you, just, man, just, Get into the game. We can serve. Number six, we can give. I genuinely, so this is my personal conviction, believe that tithing is the minimum best practice for Sue and I when it comes to honoring God with our money. Now, I mean this sincerely before the Lord. I feel like it would be malpractice for me to put that onto somebody else, to, to guilt or manipulate somebody else. But I also think it would be malpractice for me to never point it out and invite you towards honoring God with every part of our lives, including our money. And, and again, this is me, before I was in the ministry, so this isn't just because I got skin in the game, I, I genuinely do believe that, that the, this is my conviction that the biblical approach to honoring God of my tithe is through my local church. That's where I, it's like going to a restaurant and walking out without paying because you wanna go, you know, something, it's like, no, no, you pay where you eat type of thing. Like, I mean, that's such a terrible analogy, but, but, but like, like, it's my family. I don't look to someone else to pay my bond or to buy us food. That's, does it make sense? So, so I do believe that that, is, that that is a way that we do get to contribute towards what we are investing in and how we invite. But also, in addition to that, we are taking up a vision offering at the end of July. That's two months from now. On the 31st of July, we are, we, all that we're asking you to do is to ask God, okay? Again, it would be unbiblical, it would be destructive, it would be, manip be manipulative for us to try and pressure you to something. Again, Paul writes, 
and I forget if it's 1 Corinthians 9 or 2 Corinthians 9, but, but about how you need to decide in your own heart. What I'm asking you to do is to ask God. We have way more vision than what we have money. And that's okay. I think that's how it should be. And, and as we are relaunching this church at the end of September, there is a lot that we wanna do. We feel like it's a, probably once in a generation opportunity to, to set some stuff up, to make some changes. We, we've already got a, a company that's doing an amazing job. I mean, I, was, I got excited for the first time this, the, as, we, as we started getting back ideas in terms of the, how they wanna design the new name and all the rest, which we'll tell you in August. So hang in there, okay? Um, but, but we do want to contribute towards now. I wanna be clear. N no, we cannot give equally, but we can sacrifice equally. We can pray equally. We can all do our part. And so, and so I'm asking you just simply to ask God. If you're married, talk to your spouse. If you have a family, talk to me. Maybe there's something that, that we can sacrifice over the next two months that'll just free up something that we can say we're giving. Now, now, by the way, the reason I first commented on tithes is because we're not asking you to redirect your tithes if you're tithing. It doesn't help us to get a vision offering and we close the church down because we can't pay electricity and so off and, okay. I mean, that's obvious, right? Yeah. I mean, I know it feels nicer. Listen, I'm a human being. I feel nicer being able to give my tithes towards something that I, where I can see a connection and this person's like, wow, Jason, you're amazing. Uh, yes, that feels nicer, but, but that's not, me actually being obedient to what I think God's called me to do. So I'm just saying, please don't redirect your tithes. If you can't, if you can't give something to the that's okay. We're just asking you to ask God. Number seven is to explain. To actually be able to explain. Good works should lead to good will, which should lead to the good news. Again, the passage that we started with is one that I'm gonna pretty much end with. 1 Peter 3.15 the second half. It says, if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Some of you would know that story uh, in the Gospels of where Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman, this woman who was living under a whole cloud of shame. She was out in the middle of the day, which was the worst, like no one went out in the middle of the day. That was where it was hottest. She, she lived with so much shame in the community because of all her brokenness and her relationships and, and she just wasn't someone that people liked. So, so, so she was out in the middle of the day. Jesus speaks to her, crossing all kinds of cultural barriers and all the rest. And I love this one line where, where, where when like the light bulbs go on, I mean, I'd, I'd love to, I don't know, I wonder if in heaven one day God will like kind of show us the, the, the repeat clip. I'd love to see this woman's face when, when she clicks, when the light bulbs go on that this is actually the Messiah. I'd love to see what, what that looked like in her eyes, on her face. But something happened, and she goes back to her village, a village where, by the way, I mean, this might contradict everything I've just said, where she doesn't actually have a lot of credit. And all she says is, come and see. She knows she can't convince them. She knows she can't convert them. She just says, come and see. And then, and then there's another line which says, could he be? So I love the alliteration in English. Come and see, could he be? The Messiah. That's all she does. And so then, the, and the people do come. Like, like, like there's some, there was something convincing enough about her passion. Think about this. A woman of low respect and, re, and repute. Something in her conviction. Hello? We need conviction. 
which is why we need an actual healthy relationship with God. Something in her conviction caused these people who didn't have that much time and energy for her to actually come out into this dry, hot space to find this man who she's saying, come and see, could he be? Don't take responsibility for the results. Just share your story. So when we invite, I'm not unpacking this, don't worry. I'm saying you can invite someone to a gathering. That could be a church service. That could be a special event. That could be Christmas, Easter, your kids, you know, dedication or a baptism. Like maybe just have a lot more kids so you can you know, find excuses to invite people to, to, I don't know. But also invite people to a journey. Like don't feel like people, like this isn't Amway or, or anything where, or like where you have to like go all in. No, no, just invite them to a journey. Invite them to be honest, to, to just check it out. Create a safe place for people to explore. Don't, don't put this pressure on them. Like, okay, maybe they actually come with you to one thing once and you'll... Like, what do you think? Has he responded? Has she... No, no, just relax. Just relax. Maybe you invite someone to a resource. Maybe, maybe, maybe because of, of where that person's at, you know that there's a particular little video clip or a, or a book or a podcast or something that, that you think might just be helpful or encouraging to the person. But most important of all, and I cannot emphasize it strong enough, invite people to Jesus. Just so you know, we ultimately, ult- now, now church may be a means to the end, it may be an avenue, but ultimately we're not trying to get people saved to a church. We're trying to get people connected to Jesus. God uses his church. Yes, that's part of it. But, but, but I, want to, I want to remind you, we're inviting people to Jesus. And so to encourage people to just come and see, could he be? And as we, as we believe to our bones that God loves people, that we love people, and that it really is the good news, I think that we will be committed to investing and inviting. I want to tell you with all all seriousness, I am so grateful that there, would pe- that there were people who I will never know about. Maybe, maybe, maybe in heaven I will. But there were people that created an environment, that created a space for me to come to. Briefly, as a, as a uh, 10-year-old kid, I remember going to a church that, that was running a youth group on a Friday night, and, and like, like there was something about it that was actually just nice. It was just cool. Then I remember as a as a kid in grade seven, so 12, 13, for the first time in my life, actually having a leader who was like running our little small group of boys, none of us probably wanted to be there, but this guy was just, he's just, he was just a nice guy. He was a good guy, not a perfect man, but like you actually felt like he cared and it sowed a seed. 10 years old, some seeds were sown. 12 years old, some seeds were sown. There were people that, whose names I don't know that were, that were setting up that facility every week cleaning up after the party the night before because we were in the Dunville Town Hall. So they had to clean it up. They had to pack our chairs. They had to, someone had to do sound. Someone had to play the guitar. Someone had to sing a song. And then I remember at the age of 18, just out of school, I wasn't serving God, but I was going to church because I wasn't gonna have a debate with my parents. It was a Sunday night, a thoroughly forgettable service. I have no idea hear me hear me please don't miss this I have no idea I cannot remember a single thing about about who was on worship whether or not I liked the music I mean back then music so you know music wasn't great 
like, like we're used to music being a bit better than what it used to. Anyway, I, if you shot me, I couldn't tell you who, who preached. I have no idea who was in the car park, who was making coffee. I, I do not remember a single human being, but I remember standing there during worship, not worshiping, just standing there during worship. And the Spirit of God whispering to me. Now, I don't know who helped facilitate and make that happen, but there were a bunch of people. There were a bunch of people that I don't know, that I can't thank, that I can't give credit to, that were willing to just keep investing, keep investing, keep investing. There were people that sacrificed to, to, to build the building that I was in where I, where I had this encounter with God. There were people that, that had a vision and a burden to put on a camp that I then got onto the following week where I met with God in the most life-transforming way. I'm so grateful that I met some normal young people on that camp that actually loved God sincerely, but they weren't weird. I'd only ever known a couple of weird people my age in church, like weird, like weird. Someone invited me to a youth meeting the next Friday night. Same person invited me back to the church service that Sunday. Same person invited me to a prayer meeting, a small group, to start serving, to start leading. And my life was changed. Not by one event, but by several. And I don't know the combination. I, I hope one day in heaven I get to see whether it was hundreds, dozens, thousands. I don't know how many people contributed towards, towards all the different things that helped me connect with God and then continue connecting with God continued growing. Guys, all of us here, because other people have given, other people have served, other, others have sown, we have to want to serve and sow and give and invest for the people that are not here yet. God is not slow, as some of us think He is. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but everyone to repent. Come on, when you stand with me, please, as I pray for us.